You're listening to Cinema Jaw, the greatest movies podcast ever, recorded on location from our respective homes in Chicago. My name is Matt Kay, and with me is Ryan, the movie guy. And this week on Cinema Jaw, Ryan, we're going to be discussing Magic Mike's last dance, his, his very last dance, Ryan. We have a capsule review of the new Apple TV movie, Sharper, and we're going to talk about the most underrated actors and actresses. We're just going to say actors, and we're doing all of this with the help of our guest and because of our guest, Derek McDuff, who is one of the hosts of the Underrated Podcast. He's going to be joining us in a second. Yes, I love the name, the Underrated Podcast. Yeah, we'll talk to Derek about that, how they came up with it and what it's all about. Absolutely. Matt, we are also going to play trivia yourself versus Derek. And in honor of Magic Mike's Last Dance, we are playing last movie trivia. So think of movies with last in the title. How's that sound? The Last of Us? Been watching that. You've been watching that. I have not started it yet. I'm 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 one of those guys that needs a television show to go at least seven, eight episodes in before I dive in. Did you I, play the game at all? No. We are still in February, and we're still celebrating Michelle Pfeiffer. We're kicking this off, Matt, with a Michelle Pfeiffer fact. Her role of Catwoman in Batman Returns is one of her most iconic. Here are a couple of interesting facts about it. For starters, Pfeiffer almost didn't get the part. I didn't know this, but Annette Benning was originally cast, but had to drop out after she became pregnant. Pfeiffer stepped in and trained for six months at a kickboxing gym, and then three months training with a bullwhip. Michelle Pfeiffer finally went through 60 cat suits during the six-month shoot at a cost of $1,000 per suit. Wow. Why? Why did she have to go through how many did you say? It says 60 cat suits. I mean, maybe they were flimsy and they ripped or something? That's what I would think. There's a lot of action that she would pull off while wearing that suit. So you would imagine, you know, and it was extremely tight. If I remember correctly, one of the more tighter suits in movie history. So I would think just trying to like sign your name on a piece of paper, you're ripping something. Good Good fact, Rye. Annette Benning. That's weird. Oh, Thank the Lord we got Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I like Annette Benning, but I just can't picture her in that role. I agree. I agree. Sometimes it works out for the best, and I think it did there. Speaking of working out for the best, Matt, this is exciting. We finally got a, a great guest and a great topic for the guest to discuss with. As we mentioned, Derek McDuff, one of the hosts of the Underrated Podcast, is joining us. Derek, welcome to Cinema Jaw. Hey guys, thank you so much for having me on. You guys are the best movie podcast. We're, I think, the most underrated movie podcast. There you go. I'll say that, that's always awkward when we have other podcasters on because, <laughs> you know, when we started and that was like our our tagline. I didn't. I never really considered the fact that hey, you know, we're probably not actually the greatest movies podcast. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Of course we are. Oh well, okay, <laughs> you know, that's our tagline. But like, you know, you guys are also the greatest. Is what I'm trying to say, Derek. Oh, we're 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 okay, you know. I'm I'm just happy to be on. I'm just happy to be on talking with you guys uh, about this this fantastic topic and this fantastic film. I, I'm looking at you here, Derek. You're wearing a Lakers shirt. Are you calling in from Los Angeles? Yeah, yeah, uh, kind of the L.A. area, or so like Orange County. So I'm like, you know, I'm r- right down the street from Disneyland, pretty much. Gotcha. So see. give us yeah. the sales pitch uh, to us and to the Jawheads about the underrated podcast. Yeah, so the podcast is um, just like you guys, me, and a few of my my close friends talk about movies, and we specifically talk about films that are underrated or underappreciated, or ones that have slipped onto the radar for whatever reason. These are movies that might not get talked about on other podcasts, 
Uh, one we talked about recently that I had a really good time with was The Thief and the Cobbler, which was kind of this unfinished but sort of finished film by legendary animator Richard Williams. So we get to delve into some really interesting and unique films over there. Our um, relationship started online, as many do. And I was like, I got to listen to a few episodes before we do the interview. If you're searching, search underrated undercast, and then it pops right up. Yes, yes. Thank you. Yeah, because because uh, we, we named our podcast underrated. And then like, like a year later, there was like two more podcasts that named themselves underrated. So like, I was like, okay, cool. We're, 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 the, we're the first mover, but some other people are crowded in our space a little bit. Yes, but definitely, like you said, look up undercast. Yeah. Plus, plus like uh, if you type in just underrated podcast, you get like top 25 underrated podcasts that you should <laughs> listen to, you know? So underrated yeah. undercast and then boom, you get it right away. And we'll yeah. put links in the show notes and everything. Good tip. <laughs> yeah. Plug yourself on Twitter or social uh, sites work and Jawheads follow you there. Yeah. So that is actually, yeah, Undercast Company on Twitter, Instagram, uh, all the places uh, like that. All the social media sites were Undercast Company everywhere. We're starting to do some more stuff on TikTok. Um, so doing some like kind of short reviews and stuff there, um, like using the three minute format there. So Undercast Company everywhere. Do it, Jawheads. And like I said, we'll, we'll have the links right in the show notes for everybody. We will. Matt, in 2012, all the way back then, Steven Soderbergh and Channing Tatum set out to give us the greatest stripper movie of all time. No easy task. You think of such heavy hitters as Demi Moore's Striptease and Elizabeth Berkley's Showgirls. But damn it, I think they pulled it off. I know I was shocked at how much I enjoyed the original Magic Mike. We then got another dose of bare-chested men in 2015 with Magic Mike XXL. Maybe even more surprising, the sequel was just as good, if not better, than the original. Now, eight years later, Soderbergh comes back to the series to direct Channing Tatum in Magic Mike's Last Dance. Matt Kay, Derek, and I got a bunch of singles from the bank and headed to the theater to check it out. What did you want before Miami? I just wanted to escape my life. I need you. Do you like bartending? It's not really what I do. What is it that you really do? But then you came along and gave me this unexpected, magical moment that made me remember who I really was. With me to London. Let's go. Why are you in London? I'm gonna put on a show at this famous theater. People are numb, disconnected. We're gonna wake them up with a wave of passion they've never felt before. Hell yeah. Without further ado, I give you the visionary artist magic mind. All the greats have to deal with the nagging question. When should they hang it up? Michael Jordan retired a couple of times and came back. Tom Brady retired and unretired days later. And now we have Channing Tatum, stripper extraordinaire. He pulled off the sexy moves in his 20s, his 30s, but the actor is now 42 years old. Could he come back and give us one more thrill? Unfortunately, the answer is no. Tatum does pull off two well-choreographed dance scenes, but the rest of the film, ugh. I struggled with. The plot, 
a weak point, sees Magic Mike get hired by Max, played by Selma Hayek, to transform a theater she and her husband own in London. Not transform it into a straight-up strip club, more like an interpretive dance with half-naked men. I am keeping my singles in my pocket and not tipping here at all. For starters, the tone is completely different than the other two films. There was common, This was a comedy series. I don't think there was one funny moment in Last Dance, at least to me. Secondly, they got rid of the motley crew of strippers they had in the first two films and subbed in new dancers that had zero personality or were given any screen time at all. The only positive I have to say is some of the dance sequences were well choreographed, but that's a minor highlight at all. Derek, I think you have seen all three Magic Mikes, so why don't we start with you? What did you think of The Last Dance? Yeah, I, I actually really did enjoy this movie. Um, I'm, a, I'm a really big fan of particularly the first film. So I, and I'm a really big fan of Steven Soderbergh in general. He's absolutely one of my favorite directors. I didn't see the second one in theaters. Uh, I only watched it recently in preparation for this film. And well, I think that's a good movie and I get why people like it. It didn't work for me as well as the first one and the third one. The first one is a little bit darker than people remember, I think, because people still remember the second one. But the first one is pretty dark. It's It's got that Soderbergh kind of very naturalistic dialogue and just kind of rambling plot and everything that just kind of, you know, it's, it's a very, you know, like so many Soderbergh movies, it's a very kind of actor-driven film. And this one, I felt like it it struck a good balance between the tone of the first and the third one. First one, which is, like I said, a lot darker. The second one is just kind of like a fun road movie. This one felt pretty in the middle. So it, it did work for me in that sense where the second one for me was a little bit too like, oh, we're just having fun now. I was like, that kind of undoes the the ending that Mike gets to in the first film where he kind of gives it all up and sees what he could become with Matthew McConaughey and decides not to go down that route. And then the second one, he just kind of does a little bit more of that. This one, it felt like really a movie about you're older in life. You're He's in his 40s now. He's dealt with the pandemic, as they point out right at the beginning of the week. With that, I was like, oh, right off the bat, they're just reminding us that COVID exists in this world. And just kind of like, what do you do when you get to that age? Because he has, the first one was kind of about his struggle to just kind of like be like, okay, I've got to grow up a little bit. And now he is 10 years up later from that big decision that he made in the first one of like, I'm going to leave behind stripping. I'm going to move on and try and start my own business. And eventually that fails. And what does he do now? And I also really think that the love story in this one particularly was the best love story. The Cody Horn one in the first one is fine. The Amber Heard one in the second one is practically non-existent, but I really thought that him and Selma Hayek had a lot of good chemistry. Wow. And I also, I, I worked for me, <laughs> uh, but I also really liked just what the film was saying about dance and performing arts, just kind of in general, like that you get the voiceover from the daughter character about like, the importance of dance and just kind of how that represents film and storytelling as an overall thing that that all worked for me really well. Um, so I, yeah, I, I'm on the opposite side of the spectrum for you on this one. I, I did really enjoy this movie. Matt, we bounce wow. it over to you and yeah. I, I want to <clears throat> note to the jawheads, this was your first foray into the magic Mike series. You hadn't seen the first yeah. two films. You just dove right in at number oh, three. Wow. What did you, you think? Jump in the deep end, Ryan. <laughs> what do you this think, is, Matt? <laughs> this is a, a Matt K review sandwich because I'm right in the middle of you two guys. We usually get questionnaire or, or the, the studio will say, hey, what was your reaction? And this is what I wrote. The pageantry was well executed and the atmosphere in the theater was so welcoming. I had a ton of fun pre-movie. It was such an outstanding movie going experience. 
The movie itself is a bit silly and underwritten, but I had fun with it. Yes, the plot is lifted straight off the Muppet movie, but I don't remember Kermit having six-pack abs and giving Miss Piggy a private dance. So now that's been checked off some list somewhere. Perhaps it's not the best of the series, but it's a worthy capstone. And I admit, I say that not having seen the other ones. It just sounded good in in my quote. We get to go to these press screenings and they had male strippers there where you could, you know, take your photo in front of the sign. It was like a photo op. I've never seen Matt so happy. Oh, it was great. It was great. And they gave us once in a while, very, very infrequently, you get a free popcorn. And it's like your lucky day when you get a free popcorn. They gave us a free popcorn and a free cocktail. And it had sparkles in it. Then they did a burlesque dance right at the front of the theater. And they had male strippers going down the aisle. I think some of the audience members were plants because he literally picked one up and did some of the moves from the movie. (laughs) I have to admit that put me in such a good mood. I was ready to see this movie and have a good time. So I, that's the only reason I bring that up. It must be noted because that seriously affected my fun level. But, I was already that, amped. That's exactly what they wanted with all of that. Course, yeah. Of course, yeah. of course, of course. Right. And, and and I fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. I was already like halfway through my blue sparkly drink when the movie started. So listen, Ryan, I think you need to be a little bit less of a curmudgeon. It's a Magic Mike movie. I don't think it's supposed to be Steven Soderbergh's best it's not a heist movie like oceans 11 or something like that where you really got to think about it deeply i don't know i think it's supposed to be kind of fun and dumb and just like man meat and enjoy yourself and here's a like a love story slapped on i disagree with you derek i don't think the chemistry was there between channing tatum and selma hayek she her acting was awful and channing tatum just stood there like a doofus the whole time i guess he was trying to act with his eyes and i think channing tatum can really act when he wants to he's speaking of underrated that's another reason we're doing this list because channing tatum is an underrated actor but that's not on display in magic mike the last dance unfortunately and i agree the cast of characters the the extras the dancers non-existent non-existent this is my main complaint you you haven't seen the first two and i think you would really emphasize this more if you had because that was what i liked so much about it derek was right especially it's, the second one these group of strippers were hilarious together that right it's like super troopers had. right exactly yeah, yeah it was the second one especially it's like a buddy film adventure like him and joe manganello and all these guys are going on the adventure yeah that. i'm glad we at least got like that skype call where we got to see tom nash and all those guys but yeah you're, you're right about that it was missing that yeah so it was missing, it was that. missing that and I'm, I'm with matt i thought the chemistry between shannon tatum and selma hayek which just wasn't there so i didn't buy any of the love story and yeah we get the voiceover of the daughter talking about dance i mean i guess each movie has to take this story somewhere different it can't constantly be about the same exact thing yes it is about why not it works for james bond yeah it it can be you know about stripping but you know they want to delve in somewhere thematically somewhere else and this one seemed to go with how important dance is and how long it's been around human culture and so on and so forth I think that could have been worked in a little bit better for me other than just the voiceover of the daughter. I, it, I, I was just let down. And this is coming from from a dude, so please caveat this. But I did feel like it had a decent attempt at a, a feminist message and gave mm-hmm. women a lot more to do in this one. I'm, I'm just assuming because there are no female leads in either of the other movies. Well, but no, Selma that's Hayek, not necessarily true. Well, that's yeah. what Selma They're, they're not great. And I think maybe that's... I mean, that might be coloring my perception of like liking Selma Hayek in this one is just because 
you know, the other two like love interests slash female leads in Magic Mike one and two are just probably the worst parts of either of those movies, I would yeah. say. I liked it a lot more than Ryan, probably not as much as Derek. Yeah, I, That's so, where I land. But did you laugh at all, Derek? Did you think that there was comedy here? I I, I did, actually. I thought that it was it wasn't like laugh out loud, like, oh, here's some jokes, you know, but it was like there was some subtly funny moments and. I saw this movie with the common man. I didn't get to go to a press reading, um, but the common man in my case was a bunch of 40 year old women and they were having the time of their lives. It was funny because I was just sitting a couple rows down from these two ladies who were seeing it and they were just like, they're on the bus. I bet they're all going to turn around and, and dance. I was like, yeah, like that's how movies work lady. Like it was, it was just so, and maybe it was just the environment, but people were laughing and having a good time. And that that's just one. I think Soderbergh is really good at just kind of, I don't know, like, he's not credited as a writer, but he probably did some of that because he, he does everything when he, he does a movie and just makes up names for um, himself uh, when he edits or whatever. I think he is very naturalistic in his dialogue, and it's like, oh, a funny moment that you would, like, run into real life. Like, a friend says something kind of funny. Like, oh, that's pretty good, rather than just like, oh, wow, that was, like, a knee slapper or something. So just to give you one dynamic, another area that didn't work for me is there's supposed to be some comedy between Shannon Tatum who goes over to London, we get the usual fish out of water for a second, you know, he's being in this foreign city, but we get this, what would you call that guy? He's like the, like the butler. Um, yeah, he's yeah. like, he's like Max in, um, in Sunset Boulevard is what I kept <laughs> yeah. thinking of. I know they were going for good comedy there. I didn't laugh at really any of it. And I thought that's where that would have worked. All right. I would probably laugh between this dynamic of this, you know, older Englishman and Shannon Tatum, this younger stripper over in London now. And all of that for me fell flat. I didn't laugh one time. I was like, are these supposed to be funny? And Matt, you were in my theater. The, people were getting up and going to the bathroom like crazy. It was a flat vibe well, inside the theater. Flat no, vibe. I, well, people were getting up and going to the bathroom because they plied us with alcohol. <laughs> Well, I don't know. They yeah. gave us a free soda and Who a free cares? cocktail. Why and are you I'm so just hung saying, up on that? That's not my point. My point is people were, were overhydrated, if you will. And that's why people were getting up. I thought the, the vibe in the theater was great. Everyone had, had fun, myself included. And like I said, that's probably like Derek, just the entire experience is probably what made this more fun. So if... If you're going out with people who are fans of the Magic Mike series and and just want to have a good time and not think too hard and just see a bunch of topless guys, I think you're going to really enjoy this movie. It's it was fun. Yeah, and I, I think I it works on that level. And but I also do think it works on like a kind of Soderbergh drama level. And I mean, I did laugh at the the parts with the butler. I for me that worked, I did too. You know? Like I did not my I guess I just have like a you know a different sense of humor, but I I thought that was really funny. And I so, something you were saying earlier, Rai, is that it is different than the other Magic Mike. See, his character arc is is a different arc than the first one. And I do, and it's about you know different stuff thematically. And I do appreciate that. And I was thinking of like I'm glad that he's just not repeating the same arcs because when you see somebody like Die Hard, Die Hard One, he has such a good arc, and at the end of it. When they do Die Hard 2, he just has to experience the same arc. And then Die Hard 3 goes to the... And it's just like, oh, so this guy, by the end of Die Hard 5, he just sucks. He's just an awful person who never learns his lesson and just keeps doing the same things over and over. First one's like, oh, he's a guy who's getting divorced. He's kind of grumpy. And in the end, he learns to be a nice guy. And then it all gets thrown out by just them needing to rinse, repeat. And so I'm, I really do appreciate that with this one, they're like, 
no, we're not going to have him do the same thing, learn the same lessons. It's going to be something new. He's not a guy in his early 30s. Now he's a guy in his early 40s. And the world is different. You know, like even they're like, yeah, he is a guy who it, it acknowledges, like I said, that the world has changed since 2012. And we are kind of a lot of people are in this kind of nebulous thing. And, and it treats well, the way that all of these movies kind of treat um, the the dancing is like, almost like a freelance gig, which I can relate to a lot being, you know, a freelance writer. So that resonated with me and I mean like, yeah, like just the way that the gig economy works and everything now is just very impacted by the world being a completely different place. I agree. I, I, I agree with that completely. I they do, got a couple of things right tonally with the world building. I do agree that I'm glad they took a swing and went a different direction with the character and gave him this new arc. I do agree with that. I just don't think the execution was there a jaw-dropping moment going around the room, a, a moment in the movie that really wowed you. Mine, it is the Channing Tatum dance in the rain on the stage. And to set the stage here, Jawheads, it is pouring rain in this theater. Channing Tatum comes out in a white shirt. He's soaked. The female dancer that he is on stage with gets soaked. And it rains for about 10, 12 minutes straight in the theater in this awesome dance sequence. You would think that would be the last number in the show, but it's not. And somehow, amazingly, there's not a drop of water on the stage on the next dance. <laughs> that, they called a plumber. They set it up. <laughs> that bothered the yeah, hell man, out of me on. also. I mean, I get, I see it all the time in movies, don't get me wrong, where they're out in the rain and then they get in the car and they're completely dry. All right, I know it's the movies. I let a lot of things slide. But this is a major moment where there's just tons <laughs> of rain in this theater for 15 minutes, and they don't even put the curtain down or anything, the lights change, more guys come out, and now it's just completely dry, not a speck of water. They, they planned ahead. Ryan, dude, come on. Dude, man. he's sliding in a pool of water. The stage is basically a pool of water. And then in one, in just like a, a second, not even a, make you think that there's a way it could have drained, it's just a completely dry stage and everybody's dancing again on it. Ridiculous. That was my, again, Matt, my jaw was dropped. I was stunned how good the plumbing was on the stage. Your jaw dropping well, moment. It, it was some good, you know, a quick nitpick, the fake Zoom call with his buddies. Why fake a Zoom call at this point in, you know, like it was a really poorly executed fake Zoom. And I get it. Maybe they weren't all there actually on Zoom and they had to record those things at different times. Th that looked terrible. That That's one thing that took me out. But I didn't get taken out by the plumbing on the, the stage. <laughs> My jaw dropping moment would be the first last dance because it was for me the first time i had seen i'm like okay he's finally taking his shirt off let's see where this goes and boy that blue drink really did wonders on you <laughs> it did i enjoyed it i really thought that a it was really well choreographed it was pretty sexy it was su surprisingly um extended like it was a nice long scene and it was enjoyable yeah like i mean i that was the moment i thought maybe their chemistry would work unfortunately it didn't get there like in their more subtle moments but I did enjoy that first last dance. Derek, a highlight for you. Oh man, it's it's you guys literally took the two that I was thinking of because <laughs> those are like the best. I, like no, honestly, both of those those scenes were so iconic because I was a theater major in college, and so that first one that you were talking about, Rye, where it is the the rain on the stage, and you know you have that classically trained ballerina, that really affected me, and it reminded me of a lot of the you know the plays and stuff that I would be on crew for, and getting to see all the, these amazing dancers and then yeah like you were saying Matt, that dance that they were doing at the beginning like that was that was sizzling like there was like so like the chemistry there 
that that worked that's i think maybe that i was just riding the high of that throughout the whole movie because it was getting pretty pretty steamy i really dug all of that but i think maybe other than those two two moments which i think are probably the best two moments of the movie the stuff in the car that kind of midpoint crisis i mm. do that did stick out with me because it is kind of like a microcosm of the movie it's like oh what's he gonna do what's gonna happen here how invested is he feels like and there's a lot there's a theme of per- permission in this movie which i do appreciate as this being like okay this is a movie about like female fantasy and like oh that is such a thing it's like okay yeah we're gonna make sure that like the women do get permission in this and he does stop and be like hey i want to make sure you have permission so i did appreciate that um so yeah that that all really worked for me how about a movie poster quote Matt? Don't forget to tip. <laughs> I went with Mike has lost his magic. Boo. Boo. Can I can I give one more little Boo. thing? Boo. It's, it's, right. a, it's a small it's a small nitpick here. I do think that Selma Hayek should have danced with him on stage. I, I recognize that she's not a classically trained ballerina, and it wouldn't have been as cinematic, perhaps. But she didn't get his last dance, and it's a story about them coming together. Minor nitpick. How many Sorry. jaws? I had to get that out. Derek, we're on a four-jaw scale. How many jaws for Magic Mike? I'm going to give it three and a half jaws. Oh, my God. Wow. Wow. Hold on. Let me have a sip of beer. Soderbergh, diehard fan. (laughs) Yeah. No, I I, I love Steven Soderbergh. Like, like, I don't think I've ever... I would. I don't think there's any Soderbergh movie that I've seen that I would give less than three. If I'm being honest, maybe, maybe mm. the Laundromat. The Laundromat. I haven't seen the Laundromat. Oh he my makes, god, it's bad. Like it's bad. Really bad. Year, it so is not good. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to like that, but I didn't. I really didn't. Matt, it's got how so, many jaws? So many great actors. I'm giving this the rare quarter jaw at two point two five jaws. Mm. This was this was fun. I recommend. Is it a three star movie? Not for me, but I, I liked it. I had fun. It was a net positive. I'm what at about one, you, 1.5 Jaws on this one. Don't tip. Don't even go to the theater. That's what I'm saying. Skip this one. Boo. Jaw, I think Jaw people heads, are going to ignore you. Come on. Jawheads, <laughs> Magic Mike's Last Dance is playing in theaters. If you see it and want to comment on this review, shoot us a tweet. We are at CinemaJaw, or you can email us, feedback at CinemaJaw.com. Because we have Derek on from the Underrated Podcast, a great topic, underrated actors. Now, buy this uh, so everybody knows what we're talking about. You can name a great actor, but we still think that he is underrated in our opinion. Um, Or she. Or she. Or they. Right. So that's the idea. Anyone who acts. Yes. And and then we're going to give our reason why we feel that these people are underrated. Derek, we'll start with you. You're number five. Yeah, my number five is Ben Foster. Uh, I'm a really big fan of his. He is just kind of this very weird, interesting... He's usually a character actor. Um, I wanted to see that movie Medieval that just came out um, because he actually gets to play the lead. I, I wasn't playing like anywhere that I knew of, and I don't know even know if it's on VOD yet. He's almost, he's almost like Brando-esque, where he's just... He's so raw and emotional and real, and a lot of times he'll play these very edges sanded down guys that are you know you can kind of see straight to their core a movie that i think of all the time that he he's great in uh is 310 to yuma when he's playing uh the character charlie prince who is probably in love with christian bale's character but there's it's just like his performance just really sells it he he's, plays a lot of weird roles like movie that i think is we haven't covered it on underrated but one i think is very underrated 
um, which is 30 Days of Night, where he plays the weird little guy who lets the vampires into the town. I he's forgot he was make- in that, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, he's always making such interesting choices, so I had to give him a shout-out here. I, Hell or High Water is, a, is, is oh, one that I remember. He's excellent. Yes. He's yeah. excellent in there. I, I'm a big Ben Foster fan also. Same. And I heard that he was excellent in Emancipation, the new Will Smith Apple TV. I did not I see away. the movie, though. I have not Same. seen it, so I have no I don't no think comments. anyone's seen that yeah. movie. I don't even think Will Smith has seen that movie. <laughs> but I did, it's tough. I did hear that Ben Foster was excellent in there. Okay. I will have to watch it now because of Foster. I didn't mm-hmm. even know he was in it, so I'm going to check that out. Apple movies kind of get passed over for the most part in general, but when you know it's this year in Will Smith, lots of people skip that one. Yeah, that swings Which it is, to me. It's weird. How did the Apple win Best Picture before Netflix? Like that still baffles. It's me. wild. They got lucky. It was a lucky yeah. get that they they bought Coda from what was it Sundance? Yeah, I think it was mm-hmm. it premiered at Sundance. They bought it for a couple million. I don't know. Yeah, it was a chunky sum, I thought. But anyway, it was it was a good get on their part. Yeah. My number five is an actor who we got actually a chance to meet. She's wonderful. First saw her in I believe the movie's called Leave No Trace. With Ben Thomas Foster. And, with Ben Foster. How about oh, that? Hey. <laughs> See how that goes? Crossover. Yeah. Thomas and McKenzie mm. put in this fantastic performance in Jojo Rabbit. And at that point, I thought her, her star was just going to go meteoric. Then I, the next time I saw her was with Anna Taylor-Joy in, oh, what was that movie? Last Night in Soho. Thank yeah. you. Last Night in Soho, which I know got a lot of praise at the end of the year. But it, in my opinion, the movie kind of didn't work on a lot of levels. I wanted to like it a lot more and I haven't really heard anything from her since, but like she's consistently excellent, especially when you go up against an it girl, like Anna Taylor joy, who's just like in everything and in like really hold your own. I'm waiting for her star to absolutely pop. I think it's there. I think she's one of the most underrated actors today. She's just fantastic. And I'm a big fan. I'm in her corner. That is a really good pick. I didn't even think of her because like, yeah. And like you said, both of those films, both Jojo and last night in Soho, like I, she appeared on my radar. Like you said, she went head to head with Anya Taylor joy, who is so good, but I think Thomason kind of makes it her movie, which is very impressive. Seriously. Um, so, and, and she's one of those actors who like you see her and you're like, where is she from? Cause I think she's doing different accents in both of those movies. And I think she's from like New Zealand or mm-hmm. something like that. I believe so, yeah, you're correct. Yeah. 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 So she's, she's obviously, very good in both of those films and I'm sure in a lot of other stuff. And I hope we get to see more of her. Same. Yes. Big fan. My number five, we, we just talked about him and it was part of the inspiration for this list, but I did want to discuss him in a little further detail. And it is Channing Tatum at number five. And this is the definition of underrated because I think a lot of people, myself included early on, thought Channing Tatum was kind of a goof. You know, it was like, well, it's just Channing Tatum. Like I wasn't considering him to be a major talent when it came to acting. He has a presence on screen, but I didn't think he had range or depth as an actor. And then really three in a row that were like, wow, he's really turning my mind around on it. He had the comedy 21 Jump Street opposite Jonah Hill. And and it was like, oh my God, this guy's way funnier than I thought. Then he was in Soderbergh's Side Effects, which was a good uh, medical thriller. I think Rooney Mara's in that one as well. And it was like, oh, okay, he's he, this is pretty good. And then his big one was Foxcatcher, uh, yeah. where he plays yes. the wrestler. And it was like, oh my God, Channing Tatum can really act. I mean, I'm not giving him credit here. And then since then, he's unbelievable in Hail Caesar, the Coen Brothers movie. He's in Logan Lucky, another Soderbergh. And 
last year's The Lost City with Sandra Bullock, I didn't expect to be anything, and it turned out to actually be a fun romp in the movie theater, and part of that was Channing Tatum for sure. I mean, him and his chemistry with Sandra Bullock totally worked, and I'm like, nothing almost he can't do. And then he gives us a flop like Magic Mike's (laughs) Last Dance. (laughs) Oh, my God. Depends on who you ask. Right. right. (laughs) You just had to bring it back around. But but you do agree, Channing Tatum, underrated, right? I mean, he's really good. He's so good. And another one I'd add to that list where he's so good playing himself in This is the End. Right. Like, he's got that, you know, I'm slight spoiler for a movie that's 10 years old now, but like, him playing himself he's one of those actors who he's not like the rock would never do something like this is the end where he just makes fun of himself like that and channing tatum is absolutely not afraid to do that about afraid to be the butt of the joke and to be vulnerable and i think that's why he is so good in these magic mike movies is because he is playing a very vulnerable character Mm -hmm. and i really like that yep he yeah i agree he has a great cameo in bullet train um, yes. with Brad Pitt and again it's, he, it's wait wait really I can't, I can't remember his cameo yeah he's on the train He's he has like two quick cameos on the train it's hysterical and it mainly works because it's like oh my god it's Channing Tatum and he knows how to roll with the punches it's just like it's, it's wonderful he doesn't take himself too seriously agreed alright into our fours so my number four is somebody who broke onto the scene in a really big way in her first ever movie was nominated for best picture and she was nominated for a BAFTA that's Frida Pinto. After that, she kind of was always just kind of the love interest in movies like Immortals or like the first of the Planet of the Apes reboot movies. And since then, she's kind of fallen off the map. She's done, she does some indie stuff. She does some smaller stuff. She isn't really, hasn't become this big ingenue like so many people thought she was going to. Like it's the point where I remember watching that, that Netflix Jungle Book movie a couple of years ago. And I was like, is that Frida Pinto? So like she just shows up in like one scene. You're like, what? And I watched this movie that she was in. It was a very small indie movie, um, Mr. Malcolm's List. that came out last year and she is in it. It's not a very good movie, but she is incredible in it. And it's it's weird that she's just gone away. I think, on, on, unfortunately, a lot of it is just kind of possibly like racially based. Like, you know, she's not getting roles that a lot of other white actresses might get. And I that's one thing, reason I think she was in Mr. Malcolm's list because it was like it was colorblind casting. I would love to see her in some more stuff in some more interesting and versatile roles um, in big productions, at least. Two major blind spots of mine are the Planet of the Apes movies, and I never got around to Slumdog Billionaire. Oh, can you, you believe can, it? Uh, uh, Slumdog's fine, but the Planet of the Apes, especially two and three, the ones that Matt Reeves did, are some of my favorite blockbusters of the last 10 years. And and I love Matt Reeves, too. I really got to catch up with those. Yeah, they're really good. She, yeah, she's she's not in the Matt Reeves ones. No. But they're still, like, the first one's still pretty good, and the second two are amazing. Swinging it to my number four. You guys are going to give me shit about this one, but I'm going with Rafe Fiennes at, uh, at number four. <laughs> He's not the most underrated you, you actor. you got to sell me on underrated. I love the guy, but how do you say that he's underrated? Well, he's never won an Oscar, right? He's Voldemort, which I don't think many people know. The menu this year was amazing. Yes. I mean, you, you go to, to, to Schindler's List, The English Patient, Grand Budapest Hotel, that just to name a few, right? And those are heavy, heavy, heavy hitters. And I don't think he gets the proper respect that he deserves. I mean, he's... A A A list, and I think we still consider him B list. Well, that's that's B list is not fair. a bad that's, place that's, to be. I, I would say the reason it's fun doing this list is, I mean, you're able to say that because that's how you feel. I myself am like 
Mr. Ray Fiennes is in the movie. I'm seeing the damn movie. I love the guy. So I don't feel, in my opinion, that he's underrated. Although, he did not get nomination for the Grand Budapest Hotel. And my God, what a performance that was. He was absolutely robbed. I think he should have won that year, and he didn't even get nominated. And it boggled my mind that he wasn't nominated for that performance. But I, I love the guy. So Apologies for not having the nominations memorized, but is he nominated for Menu? No. no, I, I, and the thing is, I wish that he would have, like Hong Chow, been in some like indie movie with Brendan Fraser or something like that. Because they, <laughs> I mean, they gave Hong Chow the the nomination for the whale, but it's like she clearly got it for the menu. And I think that if you know, they, I, for whatever reason, I feel like the menu isn't prestige enough to or big budgety enough this it's, year to it's get too to horror get on the radar. Yeah, horror comedy getting Oscar yeah. nominations. Yeah. Never going to happen. Exactly. Uh, My number four pick, this is a gentleman. Let's just say this is a case where I think that I get way more excited for this actor being in a movie than most people do. Uh, He's very interesting. He has an interesting look. He's usually taking more smaller roles than he does leads, but he has been able to lead a movie numerous times. My number four pick is Killian Murphy. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's good. Hell yeah. You guys got really excited, and I'm sure most of the Jawheads listening to this are like, oh, yeah, Killian Murphy. But I swear, if you said Killian Murphy to the regular movie-going public, no one even knows who the hell this guy is. And I think he's— Are we going with Killian or Cillian? Isn't I, it Cillian? I looked I, it up today. Yeah, I, okay. it, you're right. It's Killian. It is Killian. It is? I looked it up yeah, okay. today, and it is Killian Murphy. I used to say Cillian all the time, but it is Killian Murphy. I thought it was. Yeah. Thank you. But to the regular regular going public, a lot of people would probably be like, who, who, who are they even talking about? But he's in small roles as you know, Scarecrow in Batman Begins. 28 Days Later, there's one of his leads. He was a lead in Red Eye. Sunshine, I think underrated Danny Boyle movie. Mm-hmm. He's in Inception. So a lot of times... Wow, he was in Inception. I forgot about that. Yeah, he's in every Nolan movie pretty much. Yes, and then, yeah, he was also in the war movie. Dunkirk. Dunkirk, yes, where where he's the the soldier who's shaken up. So, yeah, he's in all of those, and he's going to be Oppenheimer in Nolan's new movie. So another big blockbuster that he's going to be in. I just think that, again, to the people who know movies, we know who we're talking about here— but he's one of those guys that should be a household name to even just the Joe Schmoes that go out to the movie. People should know who Killian Murphy is. And I don't think he's quite at that point, And that bothers me because he's just a mega talent. 28 yeah. Days Later really sold me on him. But he plays a great villain. I mean, he's tremendous as, yes. as a bad guy. Wait, he has such a unique look, doesn't he? he right. He, he can look really creepy. He His really eyes, can. he just stares in your soul, you know? <laughs> he sure yeah. can. That was my number four. Into our three as we go. So uh, my number three is somebody who also who is in Sunshine, uh, underrated movie. Uh, and that is, I'm going to try and make sure I pronounce his name right here, is uh, Hiroyuki Sinada. He's a, that guy. He's like an, I guess now, older Asian actor or Japanese actor. He'll, you, he'll be like, oh, you see him and stuff. You're like, oh, it's that guy from Westworld. Or, oh, it's that guy from Bullet Train. He plays the older uh, Japanese guy in Bullet Train. Like I said, he's in Sunshine. He's in all these things. He shows up in Speed Racer. He's a he's a that guy. He's mm-hmm. a character actor who's a, he's a working actor who I think doesn't get enough respect. He's in he's even been in TV shows like he's he shows up in the final season of Lost in a um, a kind of underappreciated role. He he's always been one of my favorite character actors, and I don't think he really ever gets talked about even. Among cinema people, I don't think they know him as other anything other than the guy who was in something I liked. But mm-hmm. he's always 
really good whether it's a very small part or even or a bigger part like he got to flex his muscles a little bit more in sunshine one thing i should mention that he was in or i think he was a more of a central character is in the original ring or ringu um, mm-hmm. so that that's what maybe some like uh, that's probably been his biggest role, and it was obviously a non-English role. Well, you caught me red-handed. I didn't know the the person's name, and I was one of those that would. I know when you're describing him, who you're talking about, but I didn't know who this actor is. So yes, uh, you're right on. Yeah, same here. Uh, totally would parrot exactly what Rye said. I'm aware of his presence on screen, but I didn't know why, and now it's starting to come together. That's why we're here, man. So yeah, gr- uh, great. Good. I'm, I'm I'm glad I'm bringing the word to the people. <laughs> You guys are definitely going to recognize this name, but I think a criminally underrated actor is Jamie Lee Curtis. I don't think anybody fully appreciated Jamie Lee. She started out as a scream queen, right, in Halloween. And then, like, in Trading Places, she was a bit of a sex symbol that carried through her career to into the 90s. And now she's in this different place in her career. I think this is like her screw it kind of moment. And let's just take whatever project seems interesting. And Knives Out, was kind of the first, not the first, but one of the first bullets in that gun, but really everything everywhere all at once when she puts on that bureaucrat fat suit and just lets it all hang out. Man, Jamie Lee Curtis is one of the best, and I don't think we appreciate her as much as we should. She's such a throwback to ancient Hollywood with her her lineage, her parents and stuff. And even like by today's standards, she's an actress who's had such a long career. I don't think people love Jamie Lee enough. Oscar nominated Jamie Lee Curtis. I was going finally. to say, it's crazy in some ways to think how long she's been working and her first Oscar nomination is for everything, everywhere, all at once. I couldn't be happier for her. But I think she went through a period there where I don't think she was necessarily underrated, but was, I mean, she wasn't giving us anything that was like outstanding for, for many years. I think she's hitting an age and, and an area like you said, Matt, where I think she's willing to take more risks, maybe like you said, is at a point where it's like, ah, hell, let's just try this. And that's working to her favor big time, because I think you're right. The last 10 years have maybe been the best 10 years that we got of Jamie Lee Curtis. The last five, maybe. Yeah. So and I think she's finally starting to get that response. You said her first nomination, because I think for so long she had that scream queen kind of tinged to her and like a lot of critics in the academy whoever else kind of just kind of looked down on her she's like oh she's just a genre actress she's not like a prestige actress and i think it's fine she's finally starting to get respect she deserves well this leads so perfectly into my number three because one i was uh looking at this actress as a throwaway actress she also comes from hollywood lineage her parents are don johnson and melanie griffith My number three pick for underrated is Dakota Johnson. I never would have thought I would have had Dakota Johnson on this list if you asked me this question three years ago. But man, has she turned my opinion completely around. You know, she had some small roles in in movies. She's even in, I think, The Social Network. She has some, some minor roles. But she ended up getting cast in the lead in the Fifty Shades of Grey movies that I never bothered to see. And at that point, I had heard she was Don Johnson's daughter. And I was just like, oh, whatever. It's just, you know, it is what it is. It's it's a famous Hollywood daughter. And she's in... Nepotism. Yeah. And mm-hmm. she's in this movie. Forget it. And then... All of a sudden, I, I start to see her in some some other roles where I start to scratch my head and thought, oh, man, she's got some talent. Suspiria in 2018, the remake of Suspiria. She's excellent in there. 
Bad Times at the El Royale, which was a oh fun movie. And that was one I was like, wow, I think I actually like Dakota Johnson. She's in the Peanut Butter Falcon opposite uh, Shia oh, yeah. LaBeouf. Yeah, yeah. She's in The Lost Daughter, which was uh, a strong performance. And then Cha-Cha Really Smooth, with, which is another Apple TV movie, but shouldn't be missed, was definitely where I was like, all right, now I'm actually a Dakota Johnson fan. She's completely won me over. I, I think she's got such a great presence on screen. So now Dakota Johnson's making a movie. I'm going to try to see it and review it here on The Jaw. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. Like, she she's really great. Uh, I was also really, when I was looking over, like, trying to figure out my list, she's one name that I definitely considered. I was thinking particularly of Bad Times at the Earl Royale and her incredible performance in that. That was my number three pick. So here we are, some heavy hitters. What do we got at number right. two, Derek? Top two. And my number two is Jane Levy. And she is, uh, for people who are not familiar, um, she was on a movie you guys briefly talked about with your home invasion list, um, which is Don't Breathe. I know her a little bit better from the oh, 2013 yeah. remake of Evil Dead. I think she is phenomenal in that, uh, where she is playing this you know she does a really good job of this this kind of like the final girl in that the scream queen but then she also plays the dead eye for half of it and she plays a completely different version of this character she's so good in that um but what i knew her best from is she is in a lot of tv shows um she's now in uh, i think it was jane's extraordinary playlist i want to say it's called mm-hmm. uh, the musical show so a show that i she came to my attention on was this much forgotten show suburgatory uh, which is has Alan Tudyk and some other great character actors in it. That was just kind of a, a really fun ABC or whatever sitcom. People don't really talk about her. She crops up in shows and movies every once in a while, but nobody ever remembers her. And I think it's a shame because I think she's immensely talented singer and actor, um, and she needs to be in more stuff. Good pick. Yeah. Under the radar for sure. Pick. Very good one. Don't Breathe is such a classic, by the way. And Evil Dead, the the Reign of Blood at the end. Mm. so good oh and she's when she licks the knife and forks her own tongue i mean obviously it's a special effect but that was acted very very well she sells it she sells it oh yeah she does it slow you know my number two is uh, a character actor from from the uk toby jones pops up in everything he is incredible i like it he's a that guy He's, I think probably people will be most familiar with him. Like the average Joe would be most familiar with him from the MCU where he plays Baron Zola. I believe the character's name is. He's like mm-hmm. the Red Skull's assistant. He's he's one of the, uh, the, the Hydra guys, but he is in so many movies. Just this year, he was in one of my favorites that wasn't loved enough by critics, in my opinion, Empire of Light. He was in Pale Blue Eye, which we just reviewed. He's in like everything. I, I could go down his list, but it's like, oh, he's in that movie. He's in that movie. He's in freaking everything. Toby Jones is wonderful. He wonderful. is. It, it, if anything, he's almost used too much because I love Toby Jones, but sometimes, I mean, this is not even a joke. There's times I watch three movies in a row and Toby Jones is in all three movies. It's like, he's one <laughs> he's of an, those he's guys. He's a workhorse. Yeah. He's yeah. a workhorse. It, it's like, I, I go to the theater, I see it. I'm catching up with a movie from two years ago. He's in that movie. The new Netflix movie, he's in that movie. Like, yeah, there's this pops up everywhere. I, I am not the, the one to make sports analogies often, but here's the thing with Toby Jones. He acts so little in any of the given movies that he's in. He's your cleanup man. When you got the bases loaded and you need somebody <laughs> to knock it out for sure for the Grand Slam, bring Toby Jones up. It's a short, short role, small role, but he's going to knock it out of the park. 
He always does. He's so consistent. I love him every I, time yeah. he pops up. I remember watching The Pale Blue Eye, and when the movie started, I remember thinking, this is such a Toby Jones movie. And bam, <laughs> he shows up like 20 minutes into the movie. I'm like, I knew he was going to be in this film. So, yeah. 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 Uh, one world I always think of him in is he's so good in The Hunger Games. Like the announcer who's, it's him and... um. Um, oh my gosh, from Space Is it, is it Stanley name. Tucci? Stanley it Tucci, Stanley yeah. Tucci, Stanley yes. Tu- and him and Stanley Tucci just playing off each other so well. Mm-hmm. I love that. He's another one with a strange look. Here's a trivia challenge for you, Ryan. One day we should do a topic where it's Toby Jones or no. And and you just give the movie title. It is is Toby Jones in it? Yes or no? That's That'd awesome. That's, That's awesome. Good. My number two, also a character actor. We're leading into uh, our, our picks here really well. And... I think you guys obviously are both going to be fans of, of this actor, but another one where I think uh, a lot of the, the common folk don't know him, and, and we need to change that. Jeffrey Wright is my number two pick. Oh. He plays Commissioner Gordon in The Batman most recently, but he's another guy that pops up in tons of movies, and usually, to be honest, the characters that he plays are so key to the plot. Like He's great at giving you know some type of description or key dialogue that is very important in the movie. It goes to Jeffrey Wright. He pops up in uh, Broken Flowers, Syriana, Lady in the Water, Casino Royale, and a lot of the Daniel Craig, James Bond movies. Source Code, was one that I wanted to highlight. He plays the doctor in that movie where Jake Gyllenhaal has to get on the train and keep repeating I those love that eight movie. minutes. And it's Jeffrey Wright is is the uh, sort of the mad scientist working behind the scenes there. But a guy just like Toby Jones doesn't work nearly as much as Toby Jones. He's probably in one-fifth one of the <laughs> amount of movies. But he is a guy that pops up a constant. And when I see him, he was wonderful wonderful in the Wes Anderson French Dispatch. Yes. Which was just absolutely hysterical, his performance in there. He's a guy, when I know that he's going to be in the movie, to me, it feels like it's an extra treat. Like, oh, it's got whatever this movie is. And I see that Jeffrey Wright's in it because he's never like a a main star. You'll see his name, Mm -hmm. you know, 10 names down. I'm like, oh, can't wait till he pops up. And it'll usually be a key moment. Jeffrey Wright. I, I remember Hunger Games. and Basquiat. I remember from the '90s falling in love with Jeffrey Wright way back in the day. Yep, great movie. By the way, if you haven't seen it, it's amazing. All right, our number ones. Here we All go. Right. So, topping my list, I'm sticking with a guy who is usually a character actor. He does play the lead sometimes. In fact, his first role was a lead. Uh, Jamie Bell, uh, who I think is this scrappy little. He's like a he's like five foot seven, so he he's not the traditional leading man. But he's a lot. He reminds me a lot of Ben Foster in that he's just kind of like gruff and gritty and real. You know, he's he's kind of always like a, a supporting character. You see him like show up in supporting roles and stuff like like Jumper. Um, but every once in a while, he he does get a chance to shine. Um, unfor- he, unfortunately, he was he was really good as Ben Grimm in a really those really bad Fantastic Four movies, which were yeah. which were very well cast. Um, but he shows up as like these weird characters in like King Kong and. Uh, he's a supporting character in Rocket Man, um, one that I want to, or like Defiance, um, or with Channing Tatum, The Eagle, which is a very well cast, another greatly cast movie that just doesn't meet its potential. He's great as Tintin. I, I feel like a, people kind of forgot that he was Tintin because that was a mocap movie and he just looks like straight up Tintin from the comics. But he's always doing interesting things. He's a very physical actor. Um, and I think just because he is, he is not the mold for what you would think of as either a big, like tough leading man, Harrison Ford. And he's not like a, a goofy, like 
you know, supporting, he doesn't look like Toby Jones or something. He's still kind of classically handsome, but not in a leading man's body. So I think Hollywood doesn't always know what to do with him. And I've really liked, I one of maybe three people ever that watched all of turn Washington spies, but that is a very, <laughs> we're talking about underrated. That's a very underrated show that he is really good in. Well, I never even heard of it. So you got me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great pick, man. That Thank is you. really like well that done. One. Yeah. I'm going with, this is another one where I think, People like us like uh, will give me shit about this pick and say, how can you say she's underrated? But I'm going at number one with Kristen Stewart. I think that that is because I, I just hold her in such high regard that I, I don't think she gets the respect she deserves. She's getting these. I mean, obviously, she did Spencer, which was blew my mind. I don't know about you guys, yeah. but I loved that movie. And, and I would say she got nominated for that. And I think that was at least a turning point where I think she's starting to get some respect, but go on, man. But just the year before she's in this crappy sci-fi movie underwater, which is like, why <laughs> uh, is she? I, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't poo poo on that too much. I liked underwater. The, the twilight movies are their own thing. You either love them or you hate them. And that's fine. I think she's good in them. And she had a few roles after that, where uh, a lot of people were like, no, Kristen Stewart can really act. But for me, it was personal shopper. When I saw that, I was like, holy crap that she brought a whole different kind of experience to that it's like a really strange psychic mystery kind of with like an erotic twist on it. It's a weird movie. And she carries it. I mean, it is like firmly on her shoulders great actress who I don't think gets nearly enough love from the general population. I think a lot of people still hold that twilight stigma against her. I can't believe how much we're leading into each other, but um, <laughs> I'm going to sell this one also, Matt, because this is also a very no, big don't name. Don't tell me you're going. <laughs> I'm going to go there. It's right. also a very big name and he's in very big movies, especially now as he is the Batman. But I'm when I'm wow. talking, wow. I, and yes, I'm going Robert Pattinson as my number one. We did one. not just do that. <laughs> Unbelievable, <laughs> almost crazy. embarrassing, Matt. Almost embarrassing. I'm embarrassed. I am too. <laughs> um, but you know what? I I think what it is, and I, I think why he lands at my number one is really the same reason why you're saying that Kristen Stewart is still underrated. Is that a lot of the people are looking at the Twilight movies and saying, "Oh, that's the kid from Twilight." Well, he can't act, or you know, it's he's, they pigeonhole him already as just a, a very good-looking guy, or in Kristen Stewart's case, a, a, a pretty woman. And they got lucky in these teenage movies, and that's it for them. And now they're just riding that, the, the coattails. Not the case in either of these actors. Both, I think, are really, really talented. And for Robert Pattinson, he went on an absolute terror of smaller indie films before he landed the Batman. And he was also in Tenet, let us not forget. But Yeah, we're trying to. The ro yeah. He was in The Rover, uh, which was an Australian Western with Guy Pierce, where it was the first time where I was like, ooh, wow, Robert Pattinson's taking like a difficult role. Okay. He was in The Lost City of Z, underrated movie, actually. Uh, I don't know if it's been covered on the cast over there, but Lost City of Z is great. And then he hooks up with the Safdie brothers and he gives us good time which right. was just excellent. And then it's like everybody, a lot of people start the buzz then at that point. And I think that leads him to the lighthouse opposite Willem Dafoe, which I know not everybody's the biggest fan. I am. I love the lighthouse. Then he gets tenant and then to Batman. So now he is starting to become quote unquote, a movie star outside of the twilight universe. It's, it's taking time, but I'm concentrating on the fact that I think he's underrated when it comes to his acting ability. I think he's a damn talented actor. 
And I think that honestly, you guys are both hitting on something because like I said, they both got their, not their start start, but that they both came to the public attention in the Twilight movies. And I think neither of them really cares for Twilight. I think they both kind of just saw it as like, this is my foot in the door. This is my way to get into movies and I'm going to do my one for them. And when I, and now that I ha- have the, you know, the, the credit to be able to go and work with more interesting act, not, I, you know, have built up, got this money and got this, this fame, I can go work with like a David Cronenberg or whoever it might be and do these interesting things. Now that I've put in the time and the work in this movie that I didn't really care for, they got to kind of do a lot more interesting things. Cause I think they are both very versatile and very talented actors. Um, believe both the leads of that movie. Any honorable mentions here? I'll, I'll go first. Andy Serkis. I, Great I, one, dude. I think his uh, stop motion, capture motion, whatever they're calling it, is yeah, motion capture is fantastic. But also in his live action stuff, when he appears as you know a live Just live as, action uh, yeah, as himself, yeah. fantastic. So I had him on there. Elle Fanning, who I think is now, in my opinion, yes. completely eclipsed Dakota Fanning yeah. as my favorite Fanning. And I I think she's just one of those actors that on screen has something that you just can't teach. There, there's something that draws you to certain actors and actresses, and she has it. And whatever she's in, she's compelling on screen. Rosamund Pike, who Ooh, really had her big breakout with Gone Girl, and then it sort of sub- I thought that was going to push her over the edge and she was going to become a household name. I still don't think she's there. And I think she's mega no, talented. She's not. Uh, Toby Jones, as we listed. And lastly, Maggie Gyllenhaal, uh, again, for the acting ability. I don't think she gets enough credit for what a great actress she yeah. is. Yeah. All right. I got, I got a couple. Jonathan Majors, who oh, I think yeah. he's, a, he's about to pop he, with, he really with Ant-Man yeah, coming yeah. out. But prior to that, like I loved The Last Black Man in San Francisco. That movie blew me away. The, the movie from this year, the plane the movie. That he's in. Yeah. Devotion. Mm-hmm. He's very good in that. He's great in everything. And that's yeah. that's kind of my point. And then Carrie Mulligan. I, I think that she gets mm, yeah. This yeah. is why she's an honorable. I think she's she's fairly well respected, but I, I think she's a lot better than people give her credit for. I'm I'm gonna keep the Carrie train going and go with Carrie Coon, uh, who I think is from the leftovers uh and that is a show that if you you haven't watched it and you're listening to this right now just go stop like once you're done with the podcast go and and listen watch that show she hasn't really been in too much other she's seen some stuff like the nest and she's in the avengers movies but nobody can recognize her because she's a big tall blue alien but yeah she is a very underappreciated another carrie carrie elwes who i think you know he, he kind of popped off in the late 80s and early 90s you know like he was he was obviously the, the star of The Princess Bride. Then he was as the star of Men in Tights. And then he even had like a really good moment as the kind of the Baxter-esque character in uh, Liar Liar, where he's like, the claw, it's a scary claw. <laughs> you know, he's he's so good in that. Um, he was in Saw. Oh, yeah, he was in Saw. I mean, that was like 2004. I, like, yeah, he's just... Yeah, like by then, doing exactly. By then, even by when he was in Saw, it was like, wait a minute, isn't that the guy from The Princess Bride? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. You're like, huh? Um, And then I just want to also mention somebody who I was gonna put on my list, but I'm like, he's really famous. He's an Academy Award nominee. I don't think he's he's never won, but I wanted to mention uh, Ryan Gosling because I think that people just think of him as a pretty face. People think like, oh yeah, he's really good and talented, but he's just kind of handsome. It's like how Paul Newman said he didn't think he could act until he was in the verdict because he was older and he was starting to lose his looks. And I think that he is so 
versatile. Like his, him being in like Lars and the Real Girl is so different than him being in Drive or Blade Runner or just like all of his roles are very different. And I appreciate it. He's also someone who's not afraid to be vulnerable. And then the last one I have on my list um, with me watching so many Soderbergh things, I've been thinking about, she was in Magic Mike 2, uh, ironically enough. And that's uh, Andy McDowell, who people might recognize yeah. from Sex, Lies, and Videotape or her probably her most famous role is the love interest in Groundhog Day. I think she's just really fun and quirky and great and hasn't been, she'll pop up every once in a while. I know she's got a movie coming out later this year, but she, she just kind of shows up once every couple of years and you're like, wow, she's really good. And then you forget about her. Yep. She was the matriarch in Ready or Not, which was yes. that wow, fun, that's fun right. movie there. And yeah. yeah, she's excellent in the second Magic Mike movie. That, that was mm-hmm. probably my favorite scene was when they, she comes on screen. So she's, she's still got it. Yeah, yeah, she's great. Jawheads. This if, was a fun list. It man. was. This, it, this was a good was one. Great. Jawheads. If we missed your favorite underrated actor, actress, we missed one that you can't believe was not mentioned. And you have Twitter pulled up. Shoot us a tweet. We are at Cinema Jaw. Our email is feedback at cinemajaw.com. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, a brief review on Sharper, a new Apple TV movie. We keep talking Apple TV, suddenly, Matt. And movie trivia. Stick with us. Let's, let's, let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's, let's, let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. The second Maleficent film was not nearly as enjoyable as the first, but one major highlight for me was seeing Michelle Pfeiffer play the evil queen. She hams it up and fits the part perfectly. Listen to her here as she spills the goods to a sobbing L. Fanning. Do you know what makes a great leader, Aurora? The ability to instill fear in your subjects and then use that fear against your enemies. So, I spread the story of the evil witch and the princess she cursed. It didn't matter who woke Sleeping Beauty. They were all terrified. And the story became legend. I know you think I'm a monster. With what I did to the king, to Maleficent, to my son, I did for Alstead. You are a traitor to your kind, and you will pay for it. Maleficent is dead! We will never again live in fear. Alstead is free at last. Let me go! And we are back on Cinema Jaw, hanging out with Derek McDuff of the Underrated Podcast. Do check out his podcast. We usually, at this point, Matt, go to the fish tank. But Phil, another week, not with us. So there's no fish tank to open. I mean, we should open something. You got a beer or something to open? Like, I, I'm, I'm enjoying a Guinness. I wish you had another one. You could just, you know. So <laughs> we opened nice. something. Would have been yeah. nice. We did want to briefly talk about Sharper. This is a new Apple TV movie that stars Julianne Moore and your guy, Sebastian Stan, from the Marvel Universe, Matt. 
he's in it as well. And a couple of lesser known actors who I think are actually kind of the the ones who steal the show from those two heavy hitters. I agree. And it also does have, I should mention, John Lithgow pops up in a nice supporting role. Good to see him. Always love him. This is a, Always love him. This is a con movie, and it's set up in a, a vignette kind of style that just keeps getting deeper and deeper as the con. Overall, just give me your opinion. Positive on this one, or, or where I have you a mixed. Here? I have a mixed review Ooh. for the Jawheads. Yes. I, okay. Uh, they're, they're, there's a lot to like and a lot uh, to discuss. I'm positive on this one. So this we might butt heads here. I, I don't know what you're mixed on. I thought this was pretty good. Hmm. If you want to hear our full review, we are recording it tonight and dropping it on Patreon. So become a Patreon. Support the show. You can go to patreon.com slash cinemajaw. Join us there. Uh, always doing some extras, much like this sharper review. Please. It's a lot of fun. We, we hope the patrons enjoy it. We always like to end our podcast with a very fun bout of trivia. And in honor of Magic Mike's last dance, we're playing last movie trivia. Derek, you being our guest, you get to choose if you want to go first or let Matt go first. There are steals, and I will say they start off easy. All right, uh, you know, I'll go first. I'll, I'll take the first one, I guess. Question one over to Derek. Which actor played the last action hero in 1993? It's Arnold Schwarzenegger. That is correct. Yeah. See? Start off easy. Very good. Very one, good. One, yeah. one more softball. Here we go, Matt. <laughs> Who played Indiana Jones's dad in Indiana Jones in the and the Last Crusade? Sean Connery. How was my how was my uh, Scottish accent? It's good. Junior. His name is Junior. <laughs> Indiana was the dog. <laughs> one do to one. Night. One to one. Question three over to Derek. Tom Cruise stars in one movie that has last in the title. Name it. The Last Samurai. I mean, not even a pause. And Matt wouldn't, <laughs> Matt wouldn't even got it if you've sat there for 20 minutes. Not even, <laughs> not even a second pause with Derek. You're in trouble, Matt. What's the, what's the time loop movie he's in? Live, Die, Repeat. But what was yeah. the original title of it? it there's, that's, I think that Edge was of the original. Tomorrow. Now it's Edge of Tomorrow. And Edge it's tomorrow. based on the manga called... All you need is kill, which is a better title than either of those. Oh, totally. Totally. All right. Two to one. Derek, question four over to Matt K. Daniel Day Lewis only stars in one movie with last in the title. Name it. The Last Mohican? Last of the Mohicans. There you go. Wanted to make sure there was no controversy. Matt got it all out. <laughs> it is two to two. Still a tie game. Question five moves back over to Derek. Name the actor who won Best Actor Oscar for the film The Last King of Scotland. Boris Whitaker. I mean, he just doesn't even pause. Not, he doesn't <laughs> even need a second to think about it, Matt. <laughs> Matt, question six is this. Damon Wayans, Bruce Willis, and Holly Berry have made one film together. Name it. Maybe I should just circumvent it because it's the last Boy Scout. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Wow. That was a joke from the movie. It by was. The way, wow. Yeah. Matt is getting cocky here. I can't believe <laughs> this. It's all tied up. Three Who knew? No, yeah. Last we don't movie miss. trivia, right? <laughs> Back over to Derek. In 1996, Bruce Willis made another film with last in the title. This one with Christopher Walken and Bruce Dern. 1996, Bruce Willis has last in the title, and it also starred Christopher Walken and Bruce Dern. In 
finally got a pause from Derek. I, I mean, know. He's I know. finally you thinking. Might've, you might have <laughs> gone. Uh, 96, Bruce Willis walking and Bruce uh, Stern. Bruce Stern. I don't know, man. I think it got me on this one. You got me. Any guess? Anything? Uh, Save the Last Dance? I don't know. <laughs> that would be a great Save the Last Dance, though, if it was those three. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> I want to see that movie. Matt, you got a chance for a steal and to take a late lead here. I believe, I believe it is the American remake of an Akira Kurosawa film entitled The Last Man Standing. Oh man, I was feeling so good about myself. Wow, <laughs> I, I, it just—it just happens to be wow, one of my favorite was, movies. Oh, yes. I like that movie a lot. Last Man Standing, no the Last, man, Last okay. man Standing, but we do give that one to Matt. It is four to three. Matt K. Question eight is over to him. Uh, it might might not get this one. Matt in the nineteen seventy one classic The Last Picture Show, Jeff Bridges Dwayne is dating J C, who is played by what actress? I've never seen The Last Picture Show. 1970? One. 1971. 1971, Jeff Bridges, Bo Derek. That is incorrect. We threw it over to Derek. A chance for it to steal here. Last Picture Show. I I also have not seen Last Picture Show. It's in my watch list. So I'm just going to throw out a guess of somebody who was, was a really good actress in around that time. I'm just going to guess Terry Gar. That's a good guess. Yeah. We were looking for Sybil Shepherd. Sybil um, Shepherd. Okay. Wow. Had to go had to go tough on question eight. Matt oh, Sybil yeah. Shepherd in seventy one. She must yeah. have been very, very young. young. I mean, they're in high school, both of them. I mean, they're okay. supposed to be like teenagers in the in the movie. Matt does win this one four to three. Virtual handshake here. Yeah. This very nicely done. Very nice. <laughs> Matt, if it came down to a, a, a tie, a jawbreaker, this question would have been to you, Matt Kay. Better okay. movie, Last House on the Left or The Last Starfighter? Are, are you saying the... Original Last original? House on the Left or The wow. Last Starfighter? Wow, that is a Sophie's Choice if I really? ever heard one, man. <laughs> I love The Last Starfighter. I really do. But I think in terms of like cultural significance and just sheer ferocity, you got to go with Wes Craven and Last House on the Left. It's incorrect. Damn. It is The Last Starfighter. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, unfortunately, yeah. you're wrong on that one. The real jawbreaker was this age of Forrest Whitaker closest to. Okay. So my first experience with Forrest Whitaker was the crying game. And I think was that in 1992. So he must've been in his early twenties. Then I would say he's in his late fifties. Let's say 56 years old. Lock him in at 56. Derek, we got a guess. Okay. Um, I'm trying to, okay, so the first thing I saw him in was, I think, was that war movie of Willem Dafoe? I'm spacing on the name. That was like, uh, I'm going to go with, I think he's, I think he's older. I think I'm going to say 58. Give this one to Derek. He's 61. Wow. 61 for Forrest Whitaker. He looks great. Your yeah. math still looks great. Yeah, your math I think was right, Matt. But I think you were thinking he was younger in Crying Game than he was. Yeah, because I was putting him in his like early twenties. Yeah, so he was probably he closer to thirty. His... Yeah, you know, yeah. he was probably like late twenties yeah. during the Crying yeah. Game. Obviously, yeah. 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 So. I, I was waiting for you to ask a question about like Jodie Comer and and Matt Damon or and uh, and Adam Driver or something. The Last, the last duel. duel. Yeah. 
didn't come you up. You love that movie, Ryan. I know. Well, I mean, it's a good movie. You know, I write the trivia. I can't. There's a lot of lasts out there, yeah. more than you would think. I mean, I did a, a deep dive on last movies. Then I write them all down and I try to come up with trivia questions. But it's good. There was there some. some good ones. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because last is dramatic. You it know? is. It can't be, it's either got to be the first or the last. Yeah. I was going to ask something about The Last Jedi, you know, Ryan Johnson mm-hmm. directing. Then I thought, oh, we talked yeah. about that too much. So can we get a Last Dragon? Uh, last Dragon? Yeah. Last, last Airbender? Right. You know, one of the worst that, movies ever made. I was going to ask, and Dev Patel's in there, and it was going to be a Dev Patel question, mm. but I haven't seen The Last Airbender, so I didn't know how to form the question. Now, now we're going too far behind the scenes on <laughs> my trivia writing skills. Here, you know what? Next time, Derek is on. Let's just do last movie trivia part two. I like it. The last, last movie trivia. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, it brings us to the end of a very fun and entertaining job. First and foremost, we got to thank our guest, Derek, for coming on. Great having you on and and best of luck with the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, I, I had a blast. So thank you guys so much for inviting me on. Matt, we also need to thank the sponsors. And you know what? We haven't plugged in a long time. If you're listening to this on Apple device, leave us a review. Those help out a lot. We could use some fresh ones. It's been a minute. So write us a review. That That'd sounds be great. good. Absolutely. If, and also, if you like us, even if you hate us, just yeah, write us a review. Just, just something, right? Yeah. We also want to thank our Patreons. Thank you for supporting the show. If you want to join us on Patreon, again, it's patreon.com slash cinemajaw. Once we get done with this wonderful podcast me and matt are going on to record our sharper review and dropping it on patreon so join us dedication ryan dedication extra content until next week i'm ryan the movie guy i'm matt k and keep keep on on about the movies. movies